Hello, everybody, and welcome to In-Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists, editorial board members, and columnists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by environment and water reporter Elena Briss. Uh, she joins the show to talk about a few of her uh, stories that she's reported on this week. Uh, welcome back to the show, Elena. How are you doing? Uh, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. How are you? Great. Always good to have you on the show. I feel like I always learn something new. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> let's start with uh, with uh, the federal recognition to advance conservation and military red- readiness around Camp Bullis. That's a big deal. Uh, yeah. That's uh, it's going to affect. Well, I mean, it shouldn't affect anything at all. That's kind of the point is to conserve the area around Camp Bullis. But yeah. can you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's quite a it's quite a mouthful when when talking about it because there's a lot of big names and a lot of partners. Um, but yeah, so it's called the Sentinel Landscape Partnership, and it is a federal program that was started by the Department of Defense, the Department of the Interior, and the Department of Agriculture. Um, so they all work together to say like, okay, we have similarities in our goals in preserving certain landscapes. So they work together and they find areas in the United States or Areas in the United States can apply um, to be recognized as um, a landscape that can benefit the military, agriculture, and conservation. Uh, so Camp Bullis, which is just northwest of San Antonio, is an example of that. So it's Camp Bullis itself, which is a training area for the military. And then it's also a hundred, or sorry, not a hundred, a million acres uh, all around Camp Bullis, which is going to, um, they would like to conserve. Uh, So that includes like ranches, that includes, um, you know, land that's owned by people, not necessarily a ranch, like landowners. Um and development. So all of these different areas that are within this million acres um, are going to be a part of this partnership. That's something that uh, as I was reading it, the first thing, I I didn't know what a karst was, so I had to look that up. Uh, (laughs) So that was something new I learned. And then I didn't know that Camp Bullis, every single medical doctor or on the field doctor that the the military has trains at Camp Bullis. Every single one of them. I had no idea that that was something that happened there. Yeah. Isn't that so crazy? I didn't know that either. Um, and I got to go to Camp Bolas and drive around with some of the people who work there and some of the partners for this partnership um, and really check it out. And it's really cool. It's a really cool area. Um, so the reason that part of part of the reason, I guess, that for Camp Bolas and for the surrounding areas, it's so prote- important to protect is that um, a part of it is over the Edwards Aquifer Recharge Zone. And the recharge zone is where water, like rain or spring, is deposited into the Edwards Aquifer. And more than 50% of San Antonians get their water from the Edwards Aquifer. So it's really important that it's protected and it stays, it stays clean because that is our primary drinking water source. Um, and so when I was walking around Camp Bolas, I was seeing these karst formations uh, that you learned about uh, that um, are just like cracks in the earth that um, take water and deposit it down into the Edwards Aquifer, which is like this underground reservoir that that holds the water um, that we drink from. So that's really important 
And another important aspect of it, something I think that people can understand a bit with a partnership like this is like, so this is a military training area. And for people who are in the military, health professionals that are working in the military, um, they need to practice what it's like to actually be out into the in the field. Um, so you could be out in the field um, in a country that you don't know in the middle of a forested area and you just kind of get dropped down and it's really dark and you have to work with your surroundings. And so that's what they're trying to implement at a training base is like what they're trying to simulate what the conditions right, exactly. condition might be. Right. And so if there is development nearby that has a lot of um, fake light, like coming from the houses and things like that, then that's going to prevent these military personnel from properly practicing because their night vision goggles are going to be basically useless if there's ambient light. So that's just one example of why it's important for like, you know, developments in certain areas like ranches to use specific types of light because it eliminates light pollution, not be, not just because that's like environmentally friendly to eliminate light pollution, but also because that's going to help um, the military personnel practice properly. So it's kind of like how that partnership works. And then another part of this mission is to stem floodings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, a chunk of Camp Bolas and sort of this whole area in the Northwest San Antonio is floodplain. So you can flood really easily and it can flood even worse when there's a lot of impervious cover. Um, impervious cover is like sidewalks and um, driveways and streets that the water can't soak into the ground. So it just rolls right off. And then that oh. can um, cause worsen flooding because it's just like pretty much imagine like if it was a sidewalk, a bunch of water is hitting it. It's just running all off at high speeds and it's not like soaking into the ground. So they're, they're working on ways that they can talk with the partnership. I mean, they're working on ways that they can speak with landowners saying like, okay, like what are your needs for your property? I know that they will tell them to be like, I know you guys don't want your property to be be flooded. Here are some ways that maybe you guys um, can work with, with the landscape naturally to prevent flooding in your own property and also in the properties around you, including Camp Bullis. Uh, And that includes like berms, which um, are these slightly raised grooves in the ground which um, are able to better absorb when um when it rains so there's like these natural ways that people can prevent flooding and this partnership can apply for funding private or public funding uh and help these landowners pay for things like that so it's kind of like a whole process of making sure people have the funding that they can help the environment and then help Camp Bolas's mission as well. I just wanted to highlight because this is a federal program, but mm-hmm. there's a ton of local help. I, I think I think you mentioned in the article, there's 40 different organizations mm-hmm. that are a part of this that are trying to help in these preservation and conservation efforts. 
Yeah, yeah, it's massive. Um, a lot of people really care about it. So, like the Hill Country Alliance, which is a which is a group that works with the preservation of hill country and the conservation of hill country, um, the Trinity Glen Rose Groundwater Conservation District. So they focus on the Trinity Aquifer, which is right next to. Um, the Edwards Aquifer, and they really have a relationship with each other because, like, the Trinity will need the Edwards for recharge sometimes. Like, they're very connected. So, um, you know, making sure that the Trinity is safe um, kind of also depends on making sure that the Edwards is safe. And also the people at Camp Bullis um, pool from the Trinity. They drink from the Trinity the Trinity Aquifer. But it, by doing that, they're also kind of pooling from the Edwards. And so it's all just like... It's a very, it's a very symbiotic relationship. Right, exactly. It's, it's very connected. Mm-hmm. Well, transferring from that, you wrote an article earlier this month, uh, Medina Lake and who mm-hmm. regulates the land around Medina Lake. It's been an issue since uh, 2013. Yeah, it's been a while. Here you, you have two water agencies and... They both have long names, so I'm going to read them to you. (laughs) The Bandera County River Authority and Groundwater District, which um, is only situated in Bandera County and like any other river authority or groundwater district, um, they um, regulate like the river, the groundwater um, and protect it and, you know, as like the San Antonio River Authority does. Um, And then there's the Bear Medina Atascosa County's Water Control and Improvement District Number One, but for everyone's benefit, we're going to call them the BMA, and that's like what they go, properly go by. So these two water agencies are in this legal battle over who regulates the property that is around Medina Lake in Bandera County. So right now, BMA is in control of the water that is in Medina Lake. They're an irrigation company, so they control that they control that water. Like what happens with that water, um, how much water is going to be in the reservoir, things like that. But what the river authority is suing them over is saying like, okay, yeah, we understand that you guys control the water in the lake, but we don't agree that you control anything that's in Bandera County, like from a certain level higher, because like that would be our um, regulatory. And they're talking about like wells and uh, anything yeah. kind of in a, in a private residence type thing. Right. Yeah. So issues regulating groundwater, um, you know, water well violations, um, anything that would enforce rules for groundwater and surface water. So it's all these different aspects that a river authority would control, but it, it's in Bandera County and they're a, Bandera, they're a Bandera County groundwater district. So it's like, this is our job. And they're saying that the BMA has been doing it. Them, They've been like regulating that. And they're like, you shouldn't be doing that. That's our area. And so it's kind of like this big contentious water battle of who kind of owns that area. And it, it stemmed from locals in uh, Bandera County who were like living around Medina Lake and they were like, who regulates us? Like they just had no clue. And they're like, should the BMA be the one who regulates us? That doesn't seem right. Or like, should it be the the water um, groundwater district? Like, should they be the ones who aren't involved? So it just like, is kind of like these borders crossing each other about who who's in charge of that. So 
and, and uh, it actually made it to the fourth court of appeals. Then it was reversed. Where, where, mm-hmm. where does this, where does this everything stand right now? Uh, so right now they are in the process of discovery. So it's, it's like right now the BMA is saying, okay, we get what you're saying, groundwater district, but we didn't, we haven't done any of those things that you're claiming that we've done. So like regulating wells or groundwater in Bandera County, they're like, we haven't done any of that. Um, and so now the groundwater district is going to have to question the BMA officials and prove that they have done those things. So then that the case can proceed, uh, Law is complicated, (laughs) I've realized, and uh, it's a lot of going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth from the fourth court of appeals, going um, to district court and and so on. So finally, I think once this discovery period is finished, um, they're going to be at district court now for the second time, and um, hopefully that'll be the final kind of decision. And what they're trying to decide in the court is... Who has this property? Like, who's the authority this? over this property? Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's kind of like they're trying to get a declarative a declarative judgment, which is just like a decision saying like, okay, the the court of law thinks that BMA is in charge of this property, or the groundwater district is in charge of this property. So, yeah, that's a uh, water for you. <laughs> So let's uh before I let you go, we w- I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about the water restrictions in San Antonio. The we're yeah. at stage one water restrictions. Yes. Talk about why we're and uh, why we're having these restrictions, and when we can maybe not have water restrictions. <laughs> That's always the question in San Antonio. Is like when can we not have to worry about water? Um, so right now we're in stage one water restrictions because the Edwards Aquifer, which we depend on, as I mentioned earlier, for primarily for our drinking water, um, has dropped below 660 feet um, on a rolling 10-day average. So what happens is that the Edwards Aquifer Authority, which is kind of in charge of the Edwards Aquifer, will be monitoring the levels of the aquifer. And when they notice that the aquifer has been below 660 for so many days, in this case, 10 days, um, they will issue an alert and it will go to the city of San Antonio and it will go to the San Antonio Water Department or the San Antonio Water System, excuse me. And the San Antonio Water System will advise the city manager to go into stage one restrictions because that's city ordinance. Like if it's if it drops below 660 for a 10-day rolling average, city ordinance says, okay, we got to go into stage one water restrictions. Just real quick, before before you go on, do these water restrictions have like any teeth? Are, are there like fines involved if yeah, we don't adhere um, to these? Yeah, it's a good question. So it sounds like, you know, for the most part, people who don't follow these, these stage one rules, which mostly have to do with irrigating your lawn. So if somebody is assigned Monday to irrigate their lawn and they're irrigating their lawn on a Tuesday and either somebody drives by and notices or their neighbor rats them out, (laughs) usually I think what happens is that they get like, they're like, hey, dude, your water's running. You can't have it running. Please don't do that. And then that's kind of, it's kind of like a first, it's like a verbal warning. Like We're kind of on the honor system there a little bit. 
Right. But then if they keep doing that, if they keep just watering whenever they want, then yes, there's fines involved for what they're doing. But for I think for the most part, it's people who like accidentally do it. And then they're just told, hey, like it's water restrictions. You can't water on a Tuesday. So that's that's kind of what it is. And I think people in San Antonio are mostly pretty used to it. And it's not stage one water restrictions are not crazy. It's not like, oh, you can only take a five minute shower. Like it's mm-hmm. it's really just has to do with like the amount of water that you're using to irrigate your lawn and when you're doing that. And when can we expect these water restrictions to be lifted? We can uh, get out of water restrictions when our rolling 10-day average is over 660. But even when that's the case, the San Antonio water system is going to analyze what the future looks like. So there is no reason for us to pull out of stage one water restrictions when like a week later, we'll go back into them. So SAWS is just going to be really watchful. And if they think that the future looks rainier or it looks healthier and less dry, then yeah, they'll they'll pull out of stage one water restrictions. And I think an important part of state like water restrictions in general is that we're doing them because of um, the Endangered Species Act. So there are certain animals that depend on the Edwards Aquifer flow. And the springs down that flow, right? Yeah, yeah. So like Calmel Springs and San Mar- San Marcos Springs, like those little, like it's like the blind salamander or the riffle beetle. They, they like depend on this water because that's their habitat. But if you, if you start draining the aquifer faster than it can recharge, uh, then those springs are going to dry up and that's going to eliminate these endangered species habitat which would be against the Endangered Species Act, which would be very problematic, obviously, if San Antonio did anything that wasn't federally required of them. So that is why like, when we reach below 660, we would be like, okay, hold on, we need to protect these animals um, or they're going to die because of their habitat. So we're going to put a pause on what water we're using. 650 will trigger stage two water restrictions, yeah. And mm-hmm. what, how many stages of these water restrictions are there? There are four stages of water restrictions that can the city can go into. And the last stage, stage four, is below 640 feet. So what people should know is that Comal Springs and San Marcos Springs probably wouldn't dry up unless the water is like really low in the aquifer, like below six. 20, like it would have to be pretty low. But the reason that we have these water restrictions in the first place, starting at 660 is because it's just like protecting the source way early on. Like you just want to make sure that it's safe. Um, You don't want to reach 620 and then be like, okay, now we're going to have really intense water restrictions. We're just going to slowly do it from 660. And that's usually the, the best way to do it because like stage one happens probably pretty frequently in San Antonio, but I, I don't think stage four happens that frequently because because when you start like implementing these irrigation techniques um, earlier, earlier on, then it'll be less of a risk of us like having to plunge down to such a low restrictive period. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I know I already kept you for a really long time. I really appreciate <laughs> you taking the time and explaining everything in detail. Oh uh, yeah, I'm, no worries. <laughs> I love having you on the show. All right, Elena, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me.